0: To me, as long as the quality of life is there, I I love life, and I I think it's a priceless experience. I'm thankful for every day I get, but I do want more, and I'm not embarrassed to do whatever it takes. We can change the outcomes that are coming down the road. We can make a difference for almost everybody we see. Uh, We can certainly improve the quality of their health. And I believe in so doing, we will extend their lifespans meaningfully.
1: Modern science has finally tied together the way in which getting leaner and improving longevity and health supplements might make getting to both easier. With me now with some answers is a real doctor who treats real patients and has developed several all
0: natural remedies to fight the effects of aging, enhance your memory and even get a much needed boost to your energy levels. More with us to tell us about these cutting edge formulas is Dr. Dave himself.
1: Dr. Dave Warnarowski uh, Dr. Dave Warnorowski, also known as Dr. Dave.
0: Thank you. Dr. Dave. <laughs> (laughs) Dave Unleashed. The disclaimer we have to be very, very careful about what we say. You alone, the listener, must assume all liability and responsibility for use, misuse, or disuse of this information, non use of this information. None of the information here is for anything but entertainment and educational purposes. It is not meant to treat, mitigate, diagnose, or in any way affect any disease. Hi everybody, it's Dr. Dave Wannerowski from www.TheLongevityEdge on Facebook and Instagram. And I am privileged today to have Connie Soule, PhD, with me. She is a clinical exercise physiologist because I've had the pleasure of being coached by her in the past considering myself an ultra runner so connie welcome and thank you for being here
1: well thank you for having me i look forward to our little chat
0: yeah did i leave anything out is there anything else we should tell the folks out there about your stellar achievements uh, you're quite an athlete i think we should let them know that
1: uh, <laughs> i'm a retired you know i usually i use the word retired now um i am a retired ironman finisher with kona twice and uh, so my career has been in endurance, long, very long distance sports. I was in the I was in one of the original Discovery Channel Eco Challenges that took forever days. And uh, but I also, as far as my career goes, I've been engaged in performance testing for maybe 15 years. I am a retired USA triathlon Olympic coach and I helped develop the paratriathlon program based on sub-ma- submaximal training of athletes with immune conditions so when I met you I basically it's just sort of fit with everything that I was doing.
0: So thanks for, for uh, spinning up the resume a little bit uh, I didn't want to shortchange you I want people to understand what an accomplished woman you are and uh, not just personally but also in the coaching field and uh, you know coaches come in many flavors uh, during the uh, time that I was able to be coached by you primarily was uh, post coaching at the time and, and also endurance running it was very easy uh, to be your student. It was very easy because you had uh, really good communication skills and also lots and lots of personal and and, uh, people type vignettes that you could give and pass along. If you ever decide to get back into coaching, let me know. (laughs) Okay. But uh, you've been a busy academician, obviously, and um, the way I sum up, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I would broad brush your, your current passions and career into your own personal um athletic performance uh into looking at athletic performance and maximizing it in general and then also there was quite a bit of research you did on chronic fatigue syndrome and cfids and uh respiratory ratios and metabolic shifts so um some of the questions obviously that i want to ask you uh, will center around that but for the moment let's just talk about um healthy audiences um, go back a little bit when you were doing personal coaching who would be the typical person who would come to you and ask uh would would you coach me
1: um usually it would be someone um the most well the most common question i got from athletes and from just regular type of people is like i can't lose weight and okay. or and so you know, I would get and I what I called the, you know, as far as athletes, I called it the fat Ironman syndrome because you would have these these athletes training. And I used to be like that, too. I used to train for hours on end and I never saw any weight loss. And so it's a little self-defeating because um, part of it, you should be looking skinny, but you're not. And so the reason and we'll, I'm sure we'll move that into it has to do with nutrition But, uh, but that would be the most question is that how would I, you know, how do I lose weight and then how do I get faster? And Mm -hmm. I think that was one of the things where, where I, you know, that we discussed in your training. It's like, how do I change my biomechanics in my, um, my physiology in order to become faster?
0: yeah and efficiency obviously so let's go back to that first question because uh weight loss obviously is a big issue um it's ironic but i'm uh, actually just finishing um a book called the keto edge you know i've been keto for quite some time uh, i was keto when you tested me and uh, remain so um And um, as far as keto goes, generally speaking, weight loss is not an issue. Uh, You generally take the pair off the fat pretty quickly, your lean body mass goes up and your body weight goes down. One thing I will tell you is, uh, I don't run nearly the distances I used to, but when I do run, I'm invariably ravenously hungry soon after. So uh, any tips on that and how how that might be uh, handled? it's, it's not that I've lost control of it. It's just, it's, it's annoying. <laughs> so right. It's like, I'm, trying, um, I'm trying to maintain this great keto diet, which is easy when I'm not running long distance. But as soon as I put in a couple of miles and half an hour, an hour later, I just want to eat everything in sight. So what is that and what can we do about that?
1: Okay. I mean, specifically in your case, what happens is that um, you may be keto, but your training isn't keto, which means your training isn't at uh, working efficiently at a submaximal level. So if uh, it isn't, that means that if you go and, you, you know, a mile or two miles, your heart rate is going to go up above the level where you're, you're supplementing with fat and you're going to start slup- supplementing more with carbs. When you deplete your carb inventories, which is what's probably happening with you,
0: yep. your
1: body's, you're going to stop working out and your body's going to want to refill it. And right. even though it's like, yeah, because our carb stores are tiny. They're like 2,000, 2,000, 2,200 calories. They're very, very small. And so, but they're the match for every movement, every single movement throughout your waking moment. And, and even your unwaking moments, you know, it's like, it needs the match of a carb in order to survive the body. So it's when you start to deplete your stores, it's your, you know, you're going to get ravenously hungry. And that's most likely what's happening. Um, What I would suggest in the short term is to probably do like some, like a tablespoon of MCT oil before you start. Or like okay. what I do, you know, because that's what I, what I do is I'll do I'll do the MCT oil, and I also will do um, six doses of your fish oil, your amazing fish oil, and yep. that sets me into burning the, into more efficiently burning fat. And okay. then, as far as physiology, is that I would figure, you know, if you know your maximal heart rate, I would keep that mile at below eighty percent of that maximal oh. heart rate.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, that's which means
1: weird. that yeah, I'm like, oh my god, it's a fast walk. Hey,
0: you asked me. <laughs> no, <laughs> but no, yes, that, that, that's it. I mean, and I, I, physiologically, it makes sense. I'm embarrassed I didn't think of that sooner. I mean, I do obviously take a lot of fat on my diet, but it's the uh, nutrient timing becomes important here. So yeah, uh, that's uh, that's a great tip. That's a great tip for anybody who's keto, and frankly, uh, a great tip for anybody who runs and gets hungry because you brought up a really interesting um, point. And that is that there's, there's a, a pretty clear-cut correlation between body weight and running performance. Maybe not so much in sprinting, but certainly in the LSD, the long, slow distance uh, um, avenues. Um, and when I looked at, you know, I was thinking about running an, another Canadian Death Race, another 125K through the Canadian Rockies. And I was looking at my ideal body weight for that. And the calculation was somewhere between 147 and 153 pounds. You know, I walk around at 190, and I don't yeah. get fat at 190, and it's like, uh, I'm not really sure. I don't want to drop 40 pounds. It's going to be an awful lot of muscles going to go by the wayside, and it's hard won. So uh, I've elected to keep my, my running shorter distances. But you also mentioned it for the triathletes and the people who are training uh, you know, for these long-distance endurance events. Uh, maybe their situation may be a little different than mine, uh, and we've got a lot of those listeners out there too who are not keto. We've got a lot of people out there, Connie, who just don't like keto, think it's bad, don't want to hear about it, uh, vegan, vegetarian, whatever. So you know, it, it's it's not something I'm going to pontificate on too much. I'm just simply going to say it's what I do. But what about the rest of the world? The rest of the world who you know eats a more uh, carbohydrate-rich diet? Uh, those athletes that you came across that we're training but we're still getting hungry what's good deal
1: well I mean there's you know one of the things that we had touched about a bit you know concerning this this conversation has to do with me CFS which is how chronic it's how we refer to chronic fatigue now and so you have me CFS and then you have regular athletes and so um, the more this and this applies you know it's like it moves back and forth Um the if your body is inefficient in 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 fat burning, it's going to just it's going to um, ravage your carb stores because it has to source energy from somewhere. So if you're an athlete and you're like, well, you know, keto's not for me, that's fine. But you can also go low carb, and you can also train starting. You can teach your body to train fasting because what happens is, and and you can back me up on this. Um, when you do, you have mainly two two hormones that drive metabolism during, for energy. And I'm simplifi- oversimplifying this, but you have insulin, which has to whenever you ingest a carbohydrate or a sugar, the insulin kicks into because it needs to, to transport it and needs to move it. When that happens, you have this other horm- horm- hormone that um, that it's uh, that regulates fat metabolism called glucagon. So they're balanced but when insulin is activated it suppresses glucagon so if you're constantly um, eating carbs and you're like taking goose or taking you know it's like i used to but let me tell you it used to be one of those i used to like think that i had to eat 400 calories in an hour to take me through an Ironman, and it was and then i couldn't understand why you know i did four out of five Ironmans, including two in hawaii but i would end up at the end like my I would be trashed my digestion would be trashed and I could never understand why and it's because I couldn't process all that food and I wasn't burning fat it was just I was just going carb you know I was just carb driven so right. for athletes that are going longer distances and they're if if they are not efficient burning fat they're going to have to supplement or they're going to bonk because the body doesn't know how to use how to use fat number one. And number two, it's always, you know, it's like they turn into carb burning fairly early into their energy, into their energy demands. So what I say to them is like, you have to examine if you're okay with constantly, you know, sourcing and eating carbs, that's, you know, everybody, we're all free to choose how, how we drive our bodies. and But if you're not, if, you're, if you want to minimize it um, and you want to move into the concept of metabolic efficiency, which derives it. metabolic efficiency is training with a low carb or, excuse me, or keto. You could do an Ironman in 800, using just 800 calories, which is mind blowing, but it happens. This is this is what athletes that are efficient can do. Instead of having to eat 4,000, they can drive it down to 800 to 1,000 calories in 12 hours.
0: So yep. that's, uh, that's what I
1: that. say to athletes.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, if you look at the stored calories and fat, um you know i'll give you my own example i did exactly what you did in my first uh, canadian death race constantly eating goose constantly eating uh uh carbohydrate sources and of course in those days this was you know 14 15 years ago there weren't a whole lot of keto athletes um in those days Uh, so everybody was you know pasta loading the night before and carb loading them correct and, and carrying you know 10 pounds extra of sugary drinks and and, and just trying to keep the fire burning at that level. And, uh, of course, there was some significant GI distress, uh, you know, out there on the trails for, for that length of time. But also, you were constantly chasing the rabbit's tail. Um, and you were constantly chasing your energy levels. The next one I did in 2010, I was uh, low-carb slash keto for that one. And I really almost forgot to eat uh, and if you look at the number of calories stored, you know at that time I was probably about 175 pounds, so I was lighter than I am now. But certainly, I uh, still had you know maybe 15, 18 pounds of body fat. The number of calories stored in that body fat is enormous. You know, you can't you can run for 24 hours, and I don't remember exactly what I calculated, but it was probably somewhere around. Maybe six, seven thousand calories max. You know, given the hills and the areas where we would sprint and stuff like that. That's I don't know, two pounds of fat or you know, something like that. So uh, you can't outrun those 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 stores if you're efficient at using them. But you can certainly outrun the glycogen stores. Yes, um, you know, correctly. It's, it's not a good time to shift into ketosis while you're running and endurance. Because you <laughs> won't.
1: <laughs> Because it's not going to happen as long, exactly, as long as you're gorging on carbs, you're not going to go into, you know, you're not going to, you're not going to burn fat. It's, it's, it's not scientifically, you know, they're diametrically opposed.
0: Right. You just hit the wall and, and you'll, you'll walk the rest of the way. That's, that's what happens. Mm-hmm. But it, uh, Fascinating, fascinating stuff already uh, worth the listen. Uh, thanks also for the fish show. I think it's really important on, on any diet, obviously, because we're so, Omega three deficient, but especially on a high fat diet, where you're sort of ad, li- ad libitum uh, eating fat. Uh, um, I will say that my keto is is isocaloric with any other diet I've ever had, or maybe even a little bit less, um, because I am eating one to two meals a day, <clears throat> and I find that fat is very satiating. So, generally speaking, I don't you know eat those huge volumes of of calories. Uh, it's kind of moderate. Uh, auto calorie restriction being on, on keto, which which uh, also helps foster the body weight, but uh, I don't see myself getting down to 150 to do another death race. It'd be great for my joints, you know. But I, don't, I have too many other things that I want to do. So, tell me a little bit about your current. Uh, I mean, the last time we spoke a few months ago, you were uh, racing racing boats uh if i remember i correctly.
1: am yeah well you know it's like i shifted and I, I decided i was like well let me do some team sports and see how that how that works for me and, and i like it i'm doing dragon boat racing and it's uh it's again it's a team sport and it's mostly upper body which is not something i'm used to because i've been a been a runner and a cyclist for for 20 some years but yeah. um so it it's fun but i'm you know I'd like to do a little bit more other type of racing. And uh, so I bought myself an, uh, an outrigger canoe, an OC1, which is a, it is this flimsy 19 foot, 16 pound, very, very small mall, like a, like a little cigar is like that you have to be very balanced in and, and you race those. So that's my, that's my challenge now is, is staying, staying on top of it. Number one, and then racing it. That's the first challenge. <laughs> Stay in it.
0: Just, it no flip. It is good pure exertion. There's some serious balance skills going on there. huh?
1: Yes. You know, it has to do. So I've had to really, I've had to really work on my core and upper body, but then I also, I'm, I just signed up to climb one cause I'm a mountain climber. And so I, I'm going to be going to Mount Elbrus in Russia in July. So I just started, um, a high intensity, lower body also weight, weight to bring my, the strength in my legs back up. And, um, Going to the Appalachian Trail and and taking
0: a group hiking
1: in March, so I I am staying, I'm staying with some with some still some high energy, high endurance things.
0: Super. Uh, these ra- these boat shoe race, um, these are shorter distance, more explosive types. Oh
1: my gosh, so yes. the The racing are they're like 300 meters, 500 meters, a thousand meters, and it's like the longest is going to be maybe 12 minutes, which is like a 2,000. But usually. Um, So when, what I, you know, it's like, I don't mean to plug your products, but I do believe in your products. And so,
0: you know, I'll do like the,
1: you know, it's like, I'll use the the powder um, to get ready because I don't like to eat. And it's like, everybody starts eating and and goes into this, you know, part of my, my job in this team is to wean people away from this pasta party thing. Because I told him like yep. the night before, it's like if you're doing a pasta party for, you know, when you're going to do three minutes of effort, it's like self-defeating, you know, you're going to wake up sluggish. And so, oh. and this applies to everybody, you know, when I explain pasta, you know, when you do carbo loading, it was a concept that was brought from East Germans that used to fast, carbo fast for like a week before the events, am I correct? And then they would carbo load and then you do get an effect. But if you just eat and eat, especially in a taper week, everybody's like, oh, I'm racing. So they start eating, you know, for 30 minute an hour events or, you know, even 12 hour events. You know, you start to throw off your your insulin levels. And then when you have that huge pasta, you know, the next morning you're going to be you're not going to be at your best. Number one, you're going to be sluggish. So, Yeah. yeah. So that's what I, you know, for explosive events, definitely have had to turn around my training to do. Very, you know, I do a lot of hit. I do like at least twice a week. I do about over an hour to two hours of hit training,
0: and, yeah. um, and for the upper for upper those, body. I don't know if
1: you're, you know, hit. You know, it's high intensity
0: interval training. Right. And, right. Are you for both upper mm-hmm. and lower body? Tommy, with the hit.
1: Yeah, yeah, I do a lot. Like I'll yeah. use TRX. Yeah, sure. a lot. I use huh. a lot of TRX so that I use body weight, and then yeah. so I see. do a lot of jumps, you know, explosive jumping with a TRX, squat jumps, for example, and things like that.
0: So, yeah, yes. You know, I've, I've moved into bodyweight gymnastics a lot lately. I, I'm, I've become fascinated with things like hand, handstands. So, so, in my past year, I became a certified yoga instructor, and uh, that led me into um, really looking at bodyweight gym- gymnastics much more and of course bodyweight circuits are phenomenal for hit um, and also just this magical strength uh connection you get between upper and lower body and you know, holding planches and handstands and things of this nature so it's ironic we're kind of both evolving in in a, in a similar direction that way uh, and then there's no question that um, it's it's just such a great way to train explosive strength both upper and lower body you know yeah
1: yeah, yeah, because like you too, I don't, I don't, I also don't want to. I mean, I could, you know, I could stand to lose another like five to ten pounds, but if I want to go back and like you know, like you, it was like I want to go back to you know some long distance trail running. But I, I really like the the muscle gains that I have, and I don't, I'm not really sure that I would again want to give them up, just like you. And so HIT is perfect for that because you well. get to retain it, but you get to build a lot. Of, you get to build endurance using HIT.
0: Exactly. It's, it's a great way to build endurance function as well as maintain your explosive strength. So, you know, this is uh, something else. Uh, you know, I've done a lot of inversion training now. I'm working on a program using uh, inversion bars and, and uh, uh, things that uh, for people who can't really, you know, don't want to take the time to learn handstand or, or think they're too old to do it, which is ridiculous because it's... I just turned 60, and I'm not. I'm first time in my life I'm doing handstands. But uh, this type of what I call a 360 degree fitness—you know—in every plane of motion, uh, upside down, sideways, everything. Uh, this is not something we train, and I know I'm. I'm certain that our ancestors were automatically trained by their lifestyles for this. Uh, so you know, in terms of maximizing uh, human potential, um, and I know this isn't directly sport related. When we choose a sport, obviously our body adapts to that sport, so um, I've become a little bit more of a, uh, I guess, fitness oriented than sport oriented. But I like, like you, to have that door open into you know either endurance or even some some uh, shorter explosive strength sports. Uh, and yeah. To me, what you've just described and uh, you know the combination of what you and I are doing is the answer for that. Yes.
1: One of the things also that going back that you had asked me is with ME-CFS, you know, uh, people with ME-CFS, um, this is actually, like, you know, when I took the concept of metabolic efficiency, which is becoming efficient in fat burning, one of the things that we noticed in clinically with ME-CFS is that their ability to burn fat, that switch gets turned off fairly quickly. And for those that are not familiar with ME-CFS, it is a diagnosable condition where, you know, you're, you're chronically fatigued and your energy, what we call the energy envelope, your ability to do continuous physical activity. And I'm not even talking about exercise, but physical activity is, is severely cut. And so for, you know, worst case scenario, people can't even get out of bed. And then, you know, middle sort of, you know, With with patients that still can be some active, but doing housework tires them out, like going, you know, doing 20 minutes of like sweeping floors and then they're out for like the rest of the day. And and it's a physical feeling of complete fatigue. And so... Clinically, what I was looking at doing because my, my specialty is VO2 testing. Um, so, clinically, what I saw is that they would, if I put them at a submaximal level of activity on a bike, like that would equate, you know, it, we measure things so that apples to apples is called met levels, and that's called a metabolic equ- equivalent. So, I would put them to, to cycle at a metabolic equivalent of sweeping the floors. And then sometimes three, four, five, six minutes, and all of a sudden their their fat burning would tank, and it would be like they took off the equivalent of taking off at a sprint. They would become completely anaerobic, and that's not because they're sedentary. Because it's even it's even in worse condition than people that are just not doing anything. This is you know people. It's it's a, it is a condition. So what I observed is that, okay, so if they go above a certain level of heart rate, because if you can tie the heart rate, it's even easy. It's easy. It's an objective measure. If they go above a certain heart rate, then then they really tend quick. So what if you would keep them at a lower level? And this is where I, I started applying the same testing as I would do an athlete for metabolic efficiency. So I test Ironman athletes and CFS people with the same protocols is just at different intensity levels. And then I could see, it's like, if I keep them at this energy level and I tell them to go, okay, we'll do three minutes now at this activity, then you rest for so much and then do it again. We started to see that we could actually get some somewhere with establishing, giving them back some quality of life, because that's what it comes down to with uh, MECFS. cfs You work to give the patient um, a quality of life you know, better quality of life, better ability to move, better able to go to the store and do food shopping and not come back and be done for two days. So that's, that's in like the microcosm with, with ME-CFS, but it's the same, you know, you view it, you view it the same way. It's like, what can I do to make a better quality of training for an athlete that they can last forever? And what can I do to make a better quality of life for a patient that they can finish activities of daily living without, without crashing?
0: So it's metabolic efficiency. You're training metabolic efficiency.
1: Right. So the concept is exactly is developing the fat burning system of whether it's a patient or an athlete to make them um, to have better outcomes, you know, and when you say better outcomes, again, like I said, it goes from either uh, continuous activity or performing at a race.
0: Okay. So um, if you're okay with both of us getting a little bit out of our pay grade here um, okay <laughs> I mean, CFS uh, you know obviously sounds to me you know and this is a conversation we had even, probably even a few years ago it sounds to me like you know is a mitochondrial disorder uh, I mean I suppose it could be something else but I mean, given where our energy is metabolized and, and what where fat is burned um, you know this this seems to be the place where we should be looking for the defect um to your knowledge has there been any more and i know this isn't your direct area like you're 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 clinical uh and you're looking for parameters to train and help people but um have you come across anything more in terms of um things like uncoupling oxidation sooner than it should be or mitochondrial defects i mean looking basically um, there
1: is there is the the cause You know, again, like I said, you know, this is above my pay grade. I mean, MECFS is is a is a very charged discussion because there's so many aspects of it that, um, for example, even exercise is something that is looked frowned upon by some, but not, you know, not by others. And and it's I believe it's because it's not approached correctly Um, when you look at exercise and how you test for it. It's not approached correctly, but. When you look at the research, I mean, I encourage if people really want to look into it, go into PubMed, which is the NIH uh, uh, research website. And anything and everything that was published on anything is in there pretty much. But with PubMed, you can find that there has been, you know, there's findings. And then there's findings that say that it doesn't. So, I mean, it, it goes back and forth. But when, because it has to do... Um, and again you know I'm going above my pay grade but what it has to do is is how the genes are expressed and the switches that govern and were what govern the switches that turn on and off and so in chronic fatigue and in similar like in uh gulf war and I think a lot of the the a lot of the the research has been done too on on gulf war um sickness which was uh, it was um it was a condition that was that was that was found to have been acquired by over 30 percent of the cohort that went to the first go War, and I mean and this is a whole other topic about why and how and, and how it developed. But um, doing research on on gene signaling found that a lot of the switches are turned off when they are should be on, and vice versa. And so, for example, um, the switch that governs. Um, Fat burning, which is the gene m mtor um, is switched off, and now why that happens? Because that's what governs the mitochondria. I mean, this is this is all what governs it. You know, it, and you're right, it is at the mitochondrial level because that's where all the energy metabolism happens. So all the yep. signals go into each and every. Uh, mitochondria, and, it, but it, and so the research has looked, I mean, at the quality of mitochondria, the type of mitochondria, the quantity of mitochondria, and there's all these little things make a difference as to how um, the response is in, in the overall condition of the patient. So, um, you know, it might sound like I'm talking in circles, but it's really what I'm trying to say is that um, there's a lot of research out there I am not familiar with specific outcomes. I just know that they're still looking for the reason why it happens, but they have found that yes, it has has to do with um, oxidation and it has to do with, you know, with um, signaling, um, and that's about it, where I'm going to leave it before they come knocking at my door and tell me, because I'm about to submit an abstract and I don't want them to beat me over it. <laughs> I'm well, just kidding.
0: <laughs> you're a mission, and, and uh, unlike me, you have to watch your P's and Q's. Uh, yeah, you do. Because you have, say, you, you do. You know, my PhD friends can say to me, hey, you're just a dumb doctor. So I'm allowed to be a little bit more, shall we say, cavalier and. and uh, um, less grounded in pure pure science but uh, i mean first of all everything you said makes sense to me um I, I think in my clinical experience uh when it's possible and this is not always possible um uh, the just throwing things out that i've done when i can get people to be keto they do seem to do better um uh, the problem is i think there are people who those it's different it's not all the same uh, and and so some of these people um You can't, uh, we're talking about epigenetics, basically, you can't throw those switches uh, because they're not the same switches in everybody. There's a significant number of people that if you get them into keto, their epigenetics will shift, they'll get a lot more efficient at burning fat, and their uh, endurance slash even exercise capacities, or at least activities of daily life, will go up. Uh, I've seen uh, fairly large doses, 400 milligrams plus of ubiquinone supplementation help these people. Obviously, omega-3s seem to help just about everything because of the membrane uh, makeup. And then I have a, a buffered ATP product, which actually uh, I've used in about four or five uh, uh, MSC CFS people, and uh, it's definitely helped. But I mm-hmm. think the more people I would try, the more I would fall into the maw of uh, not statistically significant or not as much of a statistical significance as I would like because I think um, the epigenetics and the switches that we're talking about, um, you know how this is, there are many ways to skin a cat, there's many ways to flip a switch, and there are big switches, you know, that uncouple oxidative phosphorylation that run the the, uh, the citric acid cycle and that, that you know, are involved in Glucose metabolism or pentose phosphate uh, shunts at all these other places, you know, it's not one thing. And, right. Uh, it's,
1: it's a million things all happening in, in a perfect concert. And you might have yeah. one violin that's off, but that's the one that's going to drive the patient to, right. you know, to, to fatigue. Yeah. Yes. I would,
0: mm-hmm. I would submit that there's, you know, maybe 60 or 70 percent of people that fall into the yes, we can help you pretty easily with these other things if we can get you to do them. And then there's a, a significant chunk of people that probably have a different set of switches that need to be thrown that are not necessarily easily accessible by those simpler interventions. Um, right. And this is a fascinating part of it. Obviously mitochondrial medicine is, is a passion for me and continues to be so. So um, go ahead.
1: Well, what I wanted to say is that when I, when they asked me for, you know, cause I can, I'm not a nutritionist, so that I give nutritional nutritional advice. And when in ME-CFS, once at the onset and, you know, and it's like a perfect storm will happen and all of a sudden life changes, you know, um, iris activations, et cetera. But one of the things that don't, that happens is you start getting this weight gain because now you've lost the ability to burn fat. And so my, what I first say is that you need to move, go back to the basics and, and not and, and move towards a more of a low carb keto. And those that have, followed keto or to the best of a or a low carb find that they have been able to lose a little weight like right now i have one patient that i that i tested and i put him at his at his you know and he is a very he's very functional he used to have it's it's um he used to be a a, a pro across cross-country semi-pro cross-country skier and he went into you know i and i Covered the keto, and he, he went into keto, and he's been able to lose the weight, and he's that helps him because now there's better mobility, and then doing the uh, we did the metabolic efficiency and set a heart rate. So when I because. Your body doesn't want to burn fat. You can help the body relearn because you can teach the body. You just have to find the thresholds, and then you can teach the body to regain what it what it's lost. In in some cases, you know, uh, I you yes. know, I, again, you know, I don't want to say it happens for everybody, but in in some cases, it can happen.
0: Yeah, it happens for enough people, at least in my clinical experience, that it's it's always worth doing the first step. Um, and, you know, these are simple things, you know, supplementation and dietary changes. This is not, you know, submitting yourself to an NIH trial for some drug or, or you know, having to have uh, multiple mitochondrial biopsies, you know, uh, muscle biopsies and uh, where things get a little bit more complicated. Uh, um, but um, let's shift gears a little bit and go back <laughs> in time when, when you tested me. I remember um, I didn't have a partic- particular stellar VO2 max, but my crossover point was was over 90% which -hmm. I interpreted it as being okay uh, you ain't got much but what you got you can use almost all of it
1: (laughs) that is correct but you know I mean what what it said for you is that yeah your VO2 max wasn't really that high but you could go on forever and that's the important part you know when you focus on and this is when people when athletes come to me and say you know what's my VO2 max I'm like you know, that really is, is not a me- That measure is just meant so that to be there to depress you, you know, because you're not going to have the VO2 max of a cross country's ear and you're not going to be like Miguel and Durain or, you know, or Armstrong. You're going to have a VO2 max and you're probably going to be within 85 to 90 percent of, you know, if you're a good athlete, if you, you can go above 90 percent. But that's not really important because that's not going to define what you're going to be doing out in the field for four or five hours, 10 hours. It doesn't.
0: So in terms of your measurements, now we talked about VO2 max, there's books on how to train VO2 max. Obviously we know it's genetically uh, genetically uh, determined to a large degree, um, but there are ways to train it, but it's b- probably better to train the the efficiency, metabolic efficiency, would you agree? Especially if you're in distance race. hmm So- Yes. Tell me, just give me a very, I, I, the reason I'm asking this is, I'm going to give you a clinical vignette. Um, you know, I do a lot of telomere testing have a lot of people uh, down in my stem cell clinic. Um, and a lot of these people are what I would call older. And I have to watch my mouth because people look at me and when they hear my age, they say, oh, you're older. Uh, fortunately, mm-hmm. they don't immediately make that conclusion when they look at me. But the point is, is, uh, you know, people that you would look at maybe in their 70s, uh, mid to late 70s, who are fairly athletic for their age, but they're sort of stuck in their routines and they'll come to me and they'll say, you know, doc, I want to get in better shape. I'm I'm on the treadmill 30 minutes, you know, three or four times a week. Um, uh, What should I do? So I'm going to ask you that question Uh, from the metabolic efficiency standpoint. Let's take a person who's got an average performance who clearly hasn't Going anywhere near the potential doesn't want to necessarily win races. Although, if you show up when you're in your 70s, you often do just because so few people are running anymore. But, um, you just have to outrun
1: somebody, that's all, or be the last one standing. That's That's it, you know. But the point is, you're showing up, that's it.
0: Yeah, exactly. I'm waiting another 10 years to get on the podium because I'll be the only guy in my age range. But no, it's actually that's funny because it's incredible how how competitive these age ranges have got i thought when i turned 60 it would be easy but oh my god these people are no. super competitive but anyway yep. um, back to that question you, know, you take the average person maybe let's wants to bump up their performance let's say 15 or 20 percent they want to go to the quote-unquote next level you know without being psychotic about it uh and let's just say that they you know they're kind of the average lifter weight lifting you know, some dumbbells and do a little bit of stretching and earn a treadmill. Most of the people I come across for anti-aging have been coached by other doctors that uh, that you know, cardio is king, and you know, strength training sort of falls by the wayside. I, I feel very differently about that, but um, that's what I that's what I kind of inherit.
1: Let's say once you get to the older to the older adult, what you have to observe is well, the studies show that strength training is the best way to maintain bone structure, so. I always encourage strength training because in weight-bearing because that's going to help the structure because you can't if you're if you your bone density is is suffering you know you're not going to be out there very long before you start looking at stress fractures so if you need to have for the older adult you need to have strength training but it has to be done correctly because I mean, for life like you, I'm 60, but I don't look my age and I don't act my age. and, And that's because of my lifestyle. But I do know that if I, that my structure over the years has, you know, it's like I has, you know, it's like my feet are not the way they used to be. Things are not the way they used to be. But so I have to make sure that the structure around it can hold it. And so for the older adult, you have to build the strength training needs to be there. And the heavier weights are tend to be better because they build bone density, but it has to be done the right way. And it has to be done with someone that knows, that can show them or lead them, you know, without getting injured. And so any endurance, you know, endurance, like if they don't want to go through a VO2 testing, then you can do the basic 220 minus age and train at like below 80% of -hmm. maximal heart rate. And that's going to put you in a metabolic efficient spot. Right. That's like, you know, that's like a ballpark.
0: Perfect, yeah. And then there's the carbonin formula, which if you want to get a little tighter, you can
1: do if, exactly, it. Exactly. If you want to get it, then you can oh. apply the carbonin. But, yeah. uh, you know, when they ask, the easiest 220 minus age, and then you train at 80% or, be, you know, keep your heart rate at below 80%, and eventually it's going. To, you're going to do more at that heart rate. That's what that's That's what I tell people that are that are used to tr- driving at a high heart rate at any age It's like you know it becomes right. self defeating because the body will reset what it has to to survive so if you've been doing three to four times a week cardio at a you know at a certain heart rate it it's just resets itself to that level so it's like you're not you're not doing very much after like right. a couple of months, and so you need to bring in high intensity. That's where the hit training comes in, and but the high intensity only comes in. You know, you do it in in a sort of almost like a Tabata way. You know, it's like ten seconds and but with longer rest, or twenty seconds and then like a minute slow. Um, but it has yeah. to be brought uh, in yeah. in order to shake the system.
0: Right, yeah. right. It doesn't have to be a Tabata interval. It can be. You know, a, a, basically, you 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 dose it like you were talking about uh, with your MSCF. CFIS right, people.
1: you dose it into tiny amounts because one of the things that I've been able to do is, and this is for a, you know for some, uh, you know this is for. It seems like we have a subgroup of of M, of MECFS or or and or MS um, athletes that if they were had previous experience as as athletes, that it becomes a little bit easier. It becomes yeah. easier to be able to regain some. But yep. it has to be, you know, you, it has to be dosed in small amounts, te- you know, you dose in small amounts if there's nothing, if no repercussions. And it's in such a small dose that it shouldn't create a problem. And then you can increase the dose, you know, you titrate it little by little. So yeah. that's the same way that I would do with an older adult is uh, you need to titrate it little by little, but you need to bring it in.
0: Mm-hmm. Connie, are you familiar with the, uh, the Kaiser Runner? The Kaiser Runner, no. I'll say, this is one of those pneumatic running machines you basically get in. It's really and accelerometer. It's a sprint training thing, and uh, it measures peak power and percent of peak power, and you can obviously adjust. But it's literally something that's meant to be done for less than sixty seconds. Um, and I actually use it in fifteen second intervals now. Where I'm not really training that hard. This is my hit training. I'll do eight sessions of fifteen seconds. Until so I recover, you know, back to heart rate of maybe 120, um, and then uh, just use that. It's very small, very intense, but it's a very small uh, time frame. Uh, and people, I think what what's important about HIT is it comes in various flavors, um, and we're talking about dosing it. So you can dose it super high intensity for super short, and still not get into troubles with uh, injuries or with uh, fatigue. Or you can dose it out a little bit longer if your body's ready for that. So mm-hmm. I think to hit in, especially in the older athlete, as you mentioned, it's a great thing to add in. Uh, but it's something that also has to be—you really have to be um, objective, measuring things like heart rate, measuring, and then subjective. How do you feel? You know, if they tell you to start out at eight and you're spanked at four, you stop at four. You know, I mean, you try five times, or that—it's—it's it's really. Uh, This is what I find about getting older is I can do everything and anything as well as I ever wanted to do. I'm just as strong, just as fast. And uh, when I train for it, I can get just as much endurance. But there's two things I have to do. I have to be a lot more sensible about my training in terms of doses. And I also, generally speaking, there's a longer period of time um, till I reach what I call the lawnmower stage. And what the lawnmower stage is is um, when I used to run long distances, I'd come home and I'd have to mow the lawn and it's just like, I am not mowing the frickin' lawn, you know? And then after about three or four months of this type of training, uh, you know, a 20 mile run, I could come home and mow the lawn. So, uh, there's this longer period of adaptation, uh, when you're not in the kind of shape maybe that you're, you you know, shooting for, uh, it just takes longer. You have to be patient with your body or you're going to injure yourself. Right. And patience. You... That's a,
1: that's the first thing is patience.
0: Yeah, well, we hope we've learned this in our sixty years.
1: <laughs> <I don't laughs> it's like I, it. I preach it, but I don't practice it. Okay.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not, uh, it's not my greatest virtue either. I would, I would, I would count out of that. So, listen, we've covered some incredible stuff. Um, uh, yeah, I'm sure we could keep talking, but I'm going to respect your time and and let you go. And uh, you know, let's circle back in, in a few months uh, with your training and my training. And, uh, you know, I'll be touching base with you intermittently via email, but uh, thank you for this beautiful, beautiful download of information. My audience thanks you. I thank you. Um, And as always, Connie, you have tremendous energy and thank you for being my friend and my teacher.
1: Well, same, the same. Likewise, my life, you know, I, I, the day that I, that I had breakfast with you when I first met you and I saw you having bacon and sausage and eggs and I'm like, and hold the bread. I was like, Hmm, I think I I might like that. (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> and it changed my life, you know. That was it. I was like, oh, hold the bread. That's good. Okay, great. I like
0: well, that. It's it crazy, doctor. Maybe it's not so crazy after all, right? Yeah, <laughs> so, it
1: sounds good to me. So, but so uh, I thank you also. Thank you for for being my friend and thank you for everything that you've taught me.
0: My pleasure. And uh, let's let's keep the magic flowing, Connie. Thanks again, and I'll be in touch. All
1: right. Take care of yourself. Have a wonderful rest of the day.
0: You too, Connie. Thanks again. Bye bye. Bye-bye.